Hello, welcome to the Next Step Podcast. My name is Wes. I am here once again with the one and probably only Pastor Rob Sines. Who knows? If there's another one, he's in hiding. Yeah. Uh, So I'm here with Pastor Rob Sines, and we have a guest today, Mr. Travis Hall. Hi, Travis. How are you doing? Hi. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Travis is going to be on. He's going to ask some questions of Rob as well for his recent sermon on Daniel chapter, chapter five. five. Yeah. Uh, After a, what seems like a long time since we've a little been gap. in Daniel, it feels like. I think it yeah. was only three weeks, but... Felt uh, longer. It felt longer, probably because I was sick for two weeks, mm-hmm. and then we came back one week, and then we went to the Christmas, and then, I, yeah, here we are again, though. Went to the Christmas. Back to Daniel, to the Christmas, yeah. yes. So, we are going to go through some questions for uh, chapter five. Do you want to give us a quick summary of chapter five before we get into those the writing on the wall the famous writing on yeah. the wall the hand out of nowhere post nebuchadnezzar and it's this crazy thing i talked about it a little bit in the sermon but nebuchadnezzar's son and it kind of worked its way down and there was a couple of assassinations along the way and so fast forward and the, the uh, nabonidus becomes king and uh his religious views were very extreme and they couldn't handle it so he decided to go somewhere else and leave his son Belshazzar in charge of Babylon. So Belshazzar is the king, but he's not really the king. He's just like over Babylon and he has a lot of authority, obviously. And uh, but he's clearly um, just a depraved guy. And so he throws a big, big party to end all parties and um, decides to pull out the sacred um, vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had captured from the temple Years ago, he knew about them and said, hey, let's get those. And I think he was probably trying to, A, appease his gods, perhaps, uh, but he was also probably trying to just show dominance and just say, hey, I can do what I want. And, of course, God's hand appears and writes on the wall, and he freaks out, wets himself, um, soils his you know kingly robes, and Mom, and it gets all crazy. The uh, the wise men again cannot help, which is sort of a theme, right? That repeats itself. And uh, mom comes in and says, "Hey, call Daniel." Daniel says, "You're done," and mm-hmm. he died that night. So well, that's sort go. of the summary. I mean, yeah, yeah. So let's get into some questions, Travis. You want to start us off with the first question? And if you haven't watched the sermon, you should go watch it. Yes, yeah, Fellowship. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's very, it was Joplin. very good. Fellowshipdoctrine.org slash media, I think, will take you to the the YouTube page. And the whole service is there, actually, Mm -hmm. the music and everything. Travis, you want to kick us off with your first question? Sure. And I think this is kind of going to be one of those questions where, you know, we try to, you know, maybe figure out how does this relate to to today. And the question is, at the start of your sermon, you mentioned it is clear that God wanted us in Daniel 5 today. Can you elaborate on that? And also explain to the listeners, how can we discern what God's will is for us? Yeah. Um, well, the reason I would say, you know, I, I said this years ago, and I, of course, still believe this, but that the, the best way to determine if something is God's will is to say, did it happen? And if it happened, it was God's will. And that's kind of a little tongue-in-cheek. But uh, no, well, I, it's because I got sick. You know, who knew I was going to get COVID and be, be, out, be out for two weeks? And uh, but because of that, you know, it put us two weeks behind and that was right before Christmas. Um, So then we had the Christmas sermon and then 
you know, right after Christmas, you know, Brent Lloyd usually preaches, and then the the vision sermon. So if I had not gotten sick, I would have done this back in November, you know, because we were in Daniel four, I think, or five, or three or four back then, and um, so I would have preached it way back when. But you know, now we're pre- I preached this right at this particular time, and I think it's I, I talked about this a little bit, but you know, you could make all sorts of parallels, like oh, is this talking about what's going on in America today? Is there something going on in America? I wasn't aware. That's I've heard. I've heard. But, you know, the news outlets seem to think there's something going on. I think oh. there's a lot going on. Today. Yeah. There's, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, so I think it, it, it at least piques your interest. Like, oh, now we're in a place where the leader is suddenly gone <laughs> from one day to the next because of his behavior. That sounds... Oddly prophetic, but but you know even more so. I think you know it really it points to it just reminds us of some of those significant things. You know even that I pointed out in the sermon that you know we need to to be aware of in our own lives, right? You know because ultimately Belshazzar's issue was his pride, um, which is your problem and your problem and anyone listening, it's your problem. Um, it's all of our problem, and you know you hear that a lot, but it's because it's in the Bible over and over and over. Uh, but you asked about knowing God's will for us. Um, you know, I think the most helpful thing, and I gave you just read this book, Found God's Will. Mm, yes. um, it's just a thin little By book. John it's MacArthur. What, yeah. yeah, it's a John yeah. MacArthur book. It's what, 40 pages or so? You can read it in 30 minutes if you're a fast reader. Yeah. And it's a book that somebody, uh, my one of my mentors, gave me years ago. And I set it down on my desk. I said, oh, cool, thank you. Set it on my desk. And then it got covered up and covered up and covered up. And it was quite a while before I got back down to the bottom of the pile and I read it. And I was like, man, this book is fantastic. And um, the short, the summary of the book is that if you are tracking spiritually, you know, if you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing spiritually, following the Lord, you know, in the word, you know, in, you know, following the lead of the spirit and all those things, um, then you just do what you want because your, your will will not be in opposition to God's will. Um, the key is to make sure you're tracking spiritually, and that's what really the book is about: is how to have those things in place to make sure you are tracking spiritually. But I love it when you're reading the book; you're like you're reading all these chapters, and you know, are you are you saved? Are you being sanctified? Are you are you filled with the Spirit? Are you in the Word? And then, are you ready? Do what you want. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? It's that simple? And yeah, because I think we make it far more complex than we need to. I remember a, one of my students one time was trying to choose between two colleges, and he was like almost in a in panic mode because he couldn't. He really wanted to go to the college that God wanted him to go to. He was he was serious and sincere about that. But the, he had college A and college B, and like. They were both equal, right? They were both equally prominent in whatever field he was going into. And um, he had the same amount of uh, money, you know, the same amount of scholarship money for each one of them. They were about the same distance from home. And he's like, I just can't decide. I said, well, which one do you want to go to? He goes, well, I think go to that one. You know, calm down. Just do. Just make a decision. Just make a decision, yeah. Decision paralysis is weird. Well, cool. Let's move on to question two. Uh, question two. Uh, personally, this is a question that I had. I love the analogy of the hill and the downhill path that sin takes us to. Yeah. Uh, that kind of gives us a clear picture of the danger of sin. 
And this is something that pastors today usually avoid uh, preaching about, even though it's relevant to our society, this chapter, and really the whole Bible. Why is sin not commonly preached today? Well, um, as a pastor, there's a big part of me that just says, I don't know. I mean, that's your biggest problem, right, is sin. Why would a pastor not preach on sin? Um, you know, of course, the most famous non-sin preaching quote-unquote pastor um, is Joel Osteen, who was quoted in a, a magazine article, I think it was Christianity Today, or some, some Christian-ish magazine, um, as saying he, they asked him that question, why don't you talk about sin? He goes, well, because it's not encouraging. You know, it's not uplifting or whatever. Um, was his thing. Now, of course, he doesn't preach the gospel, so <laughs> you know, so he doesn't really count. But can't um, really preach the gospel without talking about. Sin. You can't. Yeah, that's that's the issue. That's part of the issue. So, um, so why is sin not commonly preached today? Uh, fear, maybe. You know, pastors are afraid to call people out. You know, they'll stir something up. I mean, I don't know because part of the part of the problem is we all want to minimize our own sin, right? You know, I want to convince myself first and others second that my sin that I just committed isn't really sin or isn't really all that bad. So if you want to keep people happy, you kind of gloss over that. And so you have to back away from sin. Uh, But if you're, but again, that's our biggest problem. And um, we all tend to minimize our sin, and we don't hate it as much as we as we as we should. So you know, I mean, I'm going to preach about sin because you have to. Well, so again, a, 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 someone who's not preaching about sin, you could argue they're really not a pastor. <laughs> well, we're thankful that you do preach about sin. You don't leave that part out. So. Yeah, no, you can't leave it out. Yeah, you know, you have to know what you need to be forgiven of, for one, just in salvation. So you referenced Romans 2, 5 uh, in the sermon, story yeah. of wrath, yeah. and uh, didn't quite understand how that relates specifically to believers. Could you elaborate on that? Well, it really doesn't relate to believers because that wrath has been poured out on Christ instead of us. Hmm. So, But that's, you know, that's kind of part of the whole thing about... Uh, those who are not saved, it's like, why does God not punish people for their sin instantly? Well, he's storing up wrath for the day of destruction. And, um, you know, this is, a, I've said this before, but every sin ever committed by every person who ever lived or ever will live will be punished. Either they will receive the punishment on themselves eternally in hell, God pouring out his wrath on them eternally for that, or it was poured out on Christ. Um, so when, when, when Jesus in the garden said, spoke, you know, can this cup pass from me? There's this imagery from the Old Testament of the cup of God's wrath. And so that was poured out on Christ, or it will be poured out on the sinner. So if you're just going through life like, la, 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 I'm, I'm good, I'm happy, see, God's not punishing me, well, he's storing it up to pour it out on you in the future. So the Christian, the believer doesn't have to worry about that because that wrath which was being stored up was poured out on Christ. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't have to worry about that. That's part of the joy of being saved. Is I don't, I don't have to fear. You know, that, there's that song now. Why this fear? You know, now this why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put 
you know, put he punished Christ instead of me, so I don't have to live in fear of God's wrath. So for the believer, no worries. For the unbeliever, they're not worried about it because, well, that's why we need to tell them about sin, because it's their sin that is the reason the wrath is being stored up for them. So for believers, we should be we should be concerned about that because we have to tell other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We should be concerned for them, you know, for their soul. So, you know, it's just like I heard the analogy once. If there's if you're standing in the street and there's a bus coming, how much do I have to hate you to just stand and watch that bus come and just mow you down? You know, that's hatred, right? I need to warn you. Uh, Excuse me. There's a bus coming. You need to get out of the street. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I saw, I think it was Penn Gillette. It was Penn Gillette, that, that, which is, the, the irony is he is a yeah. God-hating atheist. Mm-hmm. And, and he's he like, I recognized that. that if you think I'm going to hell, telling me about it is a kind thing to do, so yeah. now I don't get offended when people try to. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He said, I, and th- I believe his words in that video, and I, he's taken that video down because... All of the Christian evangelists are using it because it clarifies things in just a really unique way. Mm. Um, but he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to, to, to believe they're going to hell and, not tell, and not tell them? He said, I have no respect for Christians who don't proselytize. I think Ray Comfort Which, also uses that analogy. Yeah. You know, they got yeah. a truck coming at you at 70 mile an hour. I'm going to scream. I'm going to yell at you. Yeah. And I might even tackle you. Yeah. Like Penn says, there comes a point at which I'll tackle you. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I've seen, I, they showed that at a big evangelism conference. You know, the probably one of the most well-known atheists in the country, and they're sure. showing his video in an yeah. evangelism conference. Okay, so sort of in line with that um, about God's wrath, uh, talking about the story of Revelation. There's a lot of there's a lot of wrath and wrath Revelation, but. Um, you said in the sermon that the story of Revelation doesn't relate to the U.S., it relates to Israel. Um, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, and that's, yeah, we were talking about this just a little while ago. It's, um, as you think, of, because different people have, you know, let's be honest, people have different views and different perspectives of what the end times, you know, what Revelation is. Premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, did all this, was, was, was all of that talking about um, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70? Is it, is it future events? You know, and all of that stuff. But ultimately, and then even Daniel, really, if you want to understand Revelation, you need to begin by studying and understanding the, the prophecies in Daniel. But whatever you believe about the end times and what's going to happen when Jesus comes and, you know, the cataclysmic this or that, um, America is not the central player in that story. So the prophecies of the Bible are not about the United States of America. Now, we will be wrapped up in that if the, if the United States is still around. I mean, you know, nations rise, nations fall. Israel has this special place, right, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the story. But again, it, we as Americans try to make everything about us. Sure. So we think about that and we're like, well, is America going to, is, is this saying that America is going to, no, it, that's not what it's about. Right. You know, we might, you know, we, we as believers, you know, the, the universal church, there are believers all over the world, you know, so we'll be somehow, you know, part of that scenario. But the United States of America is not what it's referring to. Sure. So that, that's I think, what I meant by that. So I think a lot of Americans in general, American Christians tend to think 
that way because yeah i think it's been taught that way a lot in the country yeah and also just the u.s in general has been a it's pretty that, self-oriented yeah, we're all country. about ourselves yeah sure yeah, yeah. Not, not to get off on a tangent or anything but <clears throat> is it wrong to think one view over another uh pre premillennial or amillennial or yeah i mean is 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 it like a salvation issue I, way, I would or? say that's not a salvation issue you know i mean the gospel does not include you know was there a thousand year reign is there what is the thousand, what's the pre post is there a seven year tribulation? you know the go- that's not part of the gospel message i mean it is but it's not right yeah what whatever whatever you believe about that um does not affect does not that's not a factor in your salvation i mean look at john macarthur and archie sproul okay they're they would absolutely of course archie sproul's gone now but you know they absolutely affirmed one another as believers in christ um they loved one another they they spoke at each other's conferences they preached for each other um but they both believed something different about eschatology you know and and several other things and so but they called each other brothers in christ you know because that's not so yeah i'm i'm not going to say it doesn't matter what you believe about eschatology it's just that's one of those issues that we can disagree on and still stand arm in arm and go to the same church there are different views in our own in in our church you know some people think this some people think that you and i had talked about i think on previous episode about how eschatology and your view of it really impacts more how you interact with the world around you now yeah like than necessarily your getting better is it getting worse yeah is is, this a sinking ship is this going to go yeah it's all gonna burn anyway yeah um so there's a lot of different views in how you interact with the world around you i think more so yeah. than yeah I, I i mean the example of rc sproul and macarthur is perfect is like they're brilliant christian thinkers yeah. and radically disagree on it yeah. so i um, had a person this was i always i always found this troubling i had a, a friend this is years ago when i was in seminary who said they believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because they didn't think that they would be able to maintain their faith if they had to go through a seven-year tribulation. <laughs> interesting. It's an interesting. Oh, yeah. it's like okay. Sounds biblically solid, it's right? So yeah, it's like, can you give me chapter and verse on that? Yeah. No. So, but it was like that's troubling mm-hmm. that people. But that was kind of their. I think more they were hoping. I, I think sure. really, you know, truthfully, I think I think they were like, I hope. You know, if that's yeah. the right interpretation, then I hope that I am gone before the tribulation because I'm worried. Sure. Would I be able I to think stand? The different views of eschatology range the entire spectrum of oh. optimistic to pretty rough. And yet, it's probably the most debated. Yeah. Topic. Oh. And I think nice. we're probably going to get into it. We'll get a bit there. more in detail we'll... in chapter. Well, chapter nine for nine. sure. But yeah, it, it's, um, we're yeah. about to we're. We're we're doing the lion's den, you know. You mm-hmm. know, there's. I find it really interesting that at least three of probably the most well-known stories in, from the Old Testament, but you know, well-known Bible stories, are all three in the first six chapters of Daniel. Yeah. You know, fiery furnace, writing on the wall, lion's den. I mean, who doesn't know those stories? You know that. See, even, this one was less familiar to me than the other two. Okay. Well, you've but you've heard the phrase, "the handwriting is on the wall." Yes. That's where it comes from. Right. It comes from this book, from this story here. Exactly. So. Uh, Travis, I think you have oh, one and, more. And what, what? You had, what was the other? Speaking of the handwriting on the wall, you know that phrase. Oh, yeah, we can, you had a question about that. We from, can look at that one yeah. real quick. Um, 
Yeah, so speaking of handwriting on the wall, we had one more question uh, that asked, was the writing on the wall in Hebrew or another language that only Daniel could decipher? Yeah. It was. I think it was in Hebrew, um, and I, th- I think only Daniel could read it. Now, it is possible, because who, who knows how many wise men, could have been a thousand wise men, probably not a thousand, but, you know, there were quite a few wise men. But, but the point of all of that would be that even if one of the other wise men could read the actual words, they wouldn't have known what it meant. Right. You know, because there are words about weighing and weights and measures. Inter- the sentence itself is not, like, a complete sentence. It's not. It's four words. And, and remember, Hebrew reads right to left. And there's no, and there's, there's no, there's no consonants. No, there's no vowels. Sorry, vowels. <laughs> there's no vowels. So, you know, it would yeah. have, it would have just been a, and no spaces most likely. So it would have just been the string of letters or a block of, you know, just words. If they, if they went, went, you know, depending on how they did it, but it was probably just this string of letters that made no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That was one thing. So. Learning a little bit more about the original language and the way things were written is like there's manuscripts where it's one giant block of text with no space yeah greek was like a lot of greek is like that yeah and it's mind-boggling to me that no punctuation no spaces the work that people had to go through to like translate that and like is pretty astounding well and in the early early days uh you know they made copies they made many many copies of the biblical text because they knew because you know, people people will say, well, why don't we have the original copies, the autographs, they call them, you know, the actual piece of papyrus that Paul wrote on, you know, that actual piece is mm-hmm. called the autograph. You know, that's what he wrote. Well, we don't have autographs. It's because the paper broke down. You know, it wasn't sure. archival, museum archival paper. and But they knew it would break down. That's why they made, that's one of the reasons they made copies, because they're like, this is not going to last. Sure. This piece of paper is going to, it's like a leaf. You know, you, you get a leaf that falls off the tree and fall, and you just go, and, it, and it's gone. It crunches up. Yeah. So, you know, that's what's going like, to happen to their paper. because like computer they, paper that's, like, yeah. going to be around probably for a while. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. And even that will break down. So yeah. back then, you can only imagine. Well, and you can buy paper now that will last forever. Sure. You know, or they like when I was in, uh, when I was in college, in, the, in art class, you would buy archival paper that had like no acid in it so it's not going to brown it's not going to break down you know it's processed in a way that it's not going to age yeah you know it's going to stay nice forever it probably what does exist today is in museums or yeah well the ancient manuscripts are all again museum they're but you know sandwiched between two pieces of glass to keep the air out they're kept in the dark and sure all of that yeah so uh travis i believe you had one more question on there yeah so at the Towards the end of your sermon, you reoriented us uh, to God's sovereignty um, over our over the current political chaos and uncertainty, as well as the virus that's going on, and, and rightly so because we need that. We need to be reminded of God's sovereignty with everything going on in today's yeah. world. Yeah. How, how do we comfort non-believers, but also especially believers? I mean, some people that even I know are strong in their faith and, and strong yeah. Christians, and and they're still struggling with this. And so how do we comfort them that are worried about what kind of future awaits us and and, and their children's generation I think coming up? Just the reminder of God's sovereignty. You know, I mean that that's that's it. We need to be reminded of those biblical truths. And that, you know, you talk about things that are woven into all of scripture. God's sovereignty is all over the Bible. 
Um, you know, just the, you know, in, in, in Daniel, <laughs> you know, it's right there in Daniel. No, none shall stay his hand. That's one of the classic, you know, sovereignty texts. So um, for believers, absolutely. It's just, just a reminder of the comfort that it is that the one who spoke the universe into creation has has this under control. You know, we, we look at things and we're like, man, our country is spiraling out of control. Well, you know what? No, it's not. It's it is what it is, and it's you only know, from our perspective. It's sure. it feels like, sure. and I'll be, it feels like that to me. Um, but we just have to train ourselves, I guess. You know, it's part of just reminding yourself of Scripture, and if you know, reminding yourself about God's sovereignty, and going back to that again and again and again. He really is in absolute control over that. You know, like like R.C. speaking R.C. Sproul, he said, "There is not one maverick molecule," and it's just like that's stunning to think about. There is not one molecule in the universe that's off doing its own thing. They're all doing exactly what God wants to do. So for a, for a believer, that's comforting. For a non-believer, um, it, I think we just point them to our hope in Christ. You yeah. know, I mean, there's a sense in, well, and <clears throat> this, this is a very unpopular thing to say, and people don't like this, but anxiety ultimately is a sin. Sure, because we're sure. told, do not worry, do not be anxious. So if you're being anxious, you're being disobedient to not be anxious. Why? How can we do that? By understanding that God is in control. Yeah. And he's smarter than me. He's smarter than you, <laughs> you know. And I think sometimes it's, you know, just telling someone to read the Bible or pointing them to the Bible doesn't always work. Sometimes you have to be a good listener and you'll walk in grace and love yeah, and, yeah. and just try to, you know, meet them where they're at and yeah. try to figure out what really is their issue with it. Yeah. What is it that you're afraid of? Yeah. There's you always know? something going on deeper, like in any issue with oh, people, yeah. like obviously we all we know what the underlying cause is of all the problems. But for individual people, there's always usually something that if you talk with them long enough, you will get down to what's going on underneath the surface for those people, whether yeah. it be pain that they're dealing with, uh, pride, like what, whatever it might be. I feel like there's always, as a Christian, there's always an opportunity to sit and listen to someone and try and yeah. Be there for them. Well, to minister and to them, yeah. Because the solution to all of it is the same. Yeah, there's one answer. Right. And Whatever the question, ultimately there's one answer. There's obviously, yeah. like, things in this world that... Obviously, there's medical conditions and stuff where there's solutions in this world, there's remedies in this world, but in terms of, like, emotional issues, um, personal pain, all of that stuff... Yeah. There's the one solution. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I heard, uh, and and this sounds flippant and um, calloused, and I certainly don't mean that, mean it that way by any means. About to get canceled. um, (laughs) About to get canceled. Let's go. And this is the last podcast. Um, (laughs) It just cuts off somehow. (laughs) Yeah, and it's gone. Yeah. Oh, it stopped recording. No, yeah. No, but is that we're all going to die. And How what, dare you, sir? Everybody, yeah, that everybody will die unless the Lord comes back, right? Um, while you're still alive, but it, we're all going to die, and it's just a matter of when. And even when is in the Lord's hands. Sure, sure. You know, so if you know, like saying an I, untimely death is not a true there's no, statement. There's no such thing as an untimely death. Right. You know, like 
when someone says, you know, why did why did God take my grandma through cancer when she was only 65 when all my friends' grandmas lived until they were 80? Well, the qu- better question is why does God let you continue to live? Sure. You know, um, but again, and we won't understand that, why God takes some people before other people. And there will it will be painful. You know, it will hurt. It will, you know, we will miss them. But, you know, I'll never forget Linda Starkweather saying to me in the hospital while her husband was in the other room dying or, you know, right there, you know, on a ventilator. And she said, for Jerry, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. You know, if he stays, he's with us. Great. Yeah. If he goes, he's with the Lord. Great. And and she knew she, I mean, how could she not miss him? Sure. You know, I mean, she does. I'm sure she misses him every day. Sure. <laughs> you know. And it's hard too. Uh, I, a hard truth of it is like through people's deaths, other people might yeah see well and that's Christ the thing and i mean i think that's that great lived. your question about comforting non-believers I, I think it's the only true comfort is going to be found in the gospel yeah i mean right? so let it's it's not necessarily maybe it's not even about and i'm just kind of thinking out loud which is dangerous but maybe it's, <laughs> well, it's not even about yeah. so much giving them comfort in the midst of the am i going to get COVID and die well, I don't know if you're going to get COVID and die, but you're going to die. Yeah. Well, and C.S. Lewis said <laughs> it may seem to be sooner than what it sooner than what you had thought or planned if it if it's that. But um, your only comfort in life and death is Christ. Yes. There's a catechism question. C.S. Lewis said, you know, suffering is God's megaphone. You know, and it's one of those things where, of course, Christians shouldn't go out and look for death. But, yeah. I mean, it really once we die, we're in a better place than where oh, yeah. we are on this earth. So. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be suicidal. Well, it's like it, those but. those books about uh, I went to heaven for 30 minutes and then came back. I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> That's dangerous. Talk, path. We're not talking about that today. But how cruel yeah. to allow you to come be in heaven and then send you back. Yeah. You know, I tell people I tell people almost every single funeral I do or every, anytime I'm talking to someone who's had a loved one die recently, I try to always remind them if they were given the opportunity to come back, they would not. Right. You know, if yeah. God said, okay, you've been here for, uh, this is your seven-day free trial, you know. Do you want to go back and be with your family who loves you and who you, uh, what? No. Yeah. I mean, Perspective is so, yeah, so powerful. And it's hard for us to understand that because we mm. only see this. Sure. You know, it's like the, the fear that they have ultimately is that I'm going to die sooner. You know, starting to COVID, right? You know, am I yeah. going to get COVID and die? There's so many people that are afraid of that. And I, I refuse to operate in fear. Now, I don't want to be foolish. You know, I'm not going to walk into a COVID unit and breathe as deep as I can yeah. just to prove I trust God. That's just silly and foolish, you know. So be I'm like gonna, driving chaotically. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going yeah, like, to drive. You, I'm not going to get on the freeway going the wrong way right. just to prove that God is sovereign. Yeah, but you're willing um, to take calculated risks, you know, or yeah, if you would well, call it that. You yeah, know. I'm going to be as safe as I can, and I'm just not yeah. going to worry about it. You know, I'm just going to. Sure. Yeah, because you know you trust God, but not flippantly. Never does the Bible say, "Stop living your or like," it says, "Go spread the gospel." Unless there's unless something there's going a, on, ex- then unless there's a like pandemic, down, then you stay should stay home. at home. Yeah. yeah, that that's not a thing. Yeah. No, oh, hang on one second. Make sure this is still recording. Yeah, because if this is not recording, okay, it's then good. it's kind of pointless. It just went to sleep, so I was just checking. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah. I think that's the last I got part. one more. Oh, you have one more. One more. Are you ready? Drum roll. I'm ready. Define Chaldeans. 
Does this refer to a people group and or a geographical location? There is a people group, and it's closely connected and closely related to Babylon. But when you see in Daniel, the Chaldeans, they're basically the astrologers. Gotcha. That's what they're referring to. Um, it's just part of the wise men, the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters. Um, it, you know, it's similar even to uh, like the... Uh, the, the the in in Pharaoh, you know Pharaoh's magicians, you know they're mm-hmm. the the people that Jafar, it's Jafar right. <laughs> from <laughs> Aladdin, know, yeah, from Aladdin, <laughs> you know he's like the advisor to the king. Um, now, what who, book is that in? Yeah, in that's not in the Bible. Sorry, <laughs> I might not should have referenced Disney, but you know it's the last part of Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Gotcha. It's, it's Hezekiah chapter four, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, the go-to. The sort of similar question that I had: Who were the people? Who was the army that was coming into the city that was camped out? And who were the enemies camped outside? Oh, it's Do we the, really know? The Medes and the Persians. Okay. King Darius, yeah. It's the silver, it's the arms and chest mm. of the from the from the prophecy, right? That gotcha. that's the cool part about Daniel is you know, you have this prophecy of this set up, the statue. Off. Yeah, set up and payoff. Yeah, you have this you know, you know, he's he has this dream and he's freaking out and and all of that, you know, at the beginning of Daniel. Um, and he wants Daniel to come in and he's like, tell me the, tell me the dream. And that's, oh, sorry, that's the second dream. I'm looking at the wrong dream. Um, yeah, the, uh, um, Daniel interprets the dream, right? Um, the head of the image was fine gold, chest and arms of silver. And then he even tells him later on, this is the interpretation. Um, and it says, uh, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And that's the chest and arms. Well, that happens in chapter five that, you know, they come in and there it is. You know, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, so there it is. Yeah. Set up, payoff. And then one quick thing that I just wanted to quick? clarify. You, Very you quick. you're talking about, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. You have five words to answer this question. Oh, five words. No. Um, Can you give him six? Okay. Just... Uh, I'll allow it. Okay. Uh, so the genealogy at the beginning of the sermon that you kind of went through of the kings. Oh, okay. The kings. I was a little bit confused. This king uh, is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son or grandson? Uh, they used the word. The it. word used, and if you if, if you have an ESV, um, it'll say or um, predecessor, okay. or, or you know, Ancestor. like he, yeah, he is your predecessor because this is not. I he's not actually related to um, Nebuchadnezzar. To Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, and it's it's uh, where is that at? Let me. I did not memorize the actual. Yeah, so you're way over Nebuchadnezzar. Six words, his son takes the throne after Nebuchadnezzar, right? So mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar's son is becomes the king. He is then assassinated by his brother-in-law. Okay. So wife's brother. So the blood relation ends there. The blood relation ends there. Then, um, and that guy is named Nereglissar, if that's how you say it. Sure. And he's on Rolls the throne the for four years. Mm-hmm. And then his son succeeds him. His son, whose name is Labashi Marduk. Um, he's on the throne for a month. So fancy. Yeah, can we say that three times fast? Labashi Marduk, Labashi Marduk, Labashi Marduk. Nice, good job. Yeah, that was... Uh, Bonus points for Rob. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, he's on the throne for a month, and then he's assassinated. This group of people um, plot and execute and carry out an assassination plot against him. They choose one of their conspirators, Nabonidus, to be the king, and he's the one who had the extreme views. And so he goes off. He's like lives... 
He's like a hundred. I think if I remember correctly, I'm trying to remember, but I think he's he's off in this little oasis, like a hundred miles from Babylon, mm-hmm. and leaves Belshazzar on the throne to take care of things. That's gotcha. why Dan, Dan. That's why he's offered the third third most powerful man in the kingdom. Because that's the best he can offer him. Because technically the guy 100 miles that's away That's right, because he's not number one. He's number two. Okay. Which is like, you know, that's just, I find that interesting. Sure. I mean, you know, I like those little details like that I find very interesting. Okay. But so, yeah, anyway, I just wanted so, to yeah. clarify that because... King Nabonidus, son Belshazzar, but he's he's the king, you know, because sure. he's in charge. And he's on, right. the, in, you know, Babylon, the capital Babylon and all of that. So Cool. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Travis. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Coming up, chapter six. Six. Lions. Lions. And tigers and bears. Oh, my. Well, Is that in chapter Just six? lions. No. There's no tigers or bears. I don't think that's in chapter six. No, but every you time I say hit. lions, my brain wants to. <laughs> All righty. Yeah, appreciate well, you guys uh, inviting me on. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Thanks for being yeah, here. I'm glad for you to be here. Um, yeah, so we will see you guys next week with chapter six. six. Um, we're going to work on getting... More guests, different guests all the time to mix things up so it's just not me and Rob blathering on. Yes. Yeah, I was wondering when you guys were going to do that. It was getting a little boring. Yep. I mean, I was bored episode one listening to me. Thank you for listening. We will see you guys next week. Bye.